thank you, Greg. And look what's here. Somebody left me a peep. Would you like it? There, don't say I never. These peeps have been showing up all over my office, and hmm, somebody's having a good time. Must be April 1st, I don't know. Now, boys and girls, we're really glad that you're with us this morning. Um, now, we were going to have a little bit of a handout, but we had a technical glitch. Uh, but one thing Miss Christy, uh, Christy asked me to um, challenge you with is to pay attention and count how many times you hear a particular word in the sermon, in the very short sermon this morning. Uh, and the word is in the title of the message, and it isn't the first two words. So that might give you a little bit of a heads up. Okay? All right. Now, the peep has helped us uh, <laughs> remind us, I suppose, of what today is. It's that, you know, it's that day, uh, depending on who your friends are, when you're constantly kind of looking over your shoulder, you know what I mean? Or you're, you're careful to examine kind of more unusual or suspicious sounding Facebook posts, or maybe you're checking that food item before you put it in your mouth. You know, it's... It's April Fool's Day, and some people relish the opportunity to prank others so that they can just kind of say at the end, gotcha, you know. There are all sorts of theories as to when and why this observance found its way into the cultural milieu of our day. Add to that the fact that this is the first time in 62 years that April 1 is the same day as Easter and it'll be another 90 years before it happens again. Hmm, so what, right? Well, now, there have been some pretty good pranks over the years. In fact, just early, early this morning, I heard that uh, the BBC, which we always think of as rather, you know, kind of staid and proper, they have already pulled several pretty good April Fool's pranks in print. Uh, perhaps one of their most famous uh, and a few of you might remember this, it was back in 1957 uh, when the BBC reported that Swiss farmers were experiencing a record spaghetti crop and they showed footage of people harvesting noodles from the trees. Gotcha, right? Some people believed it. In 1985, Sports Illustrated tricked many of its readers when it ran a made-up article about a rookie, a rookie pitcher named Sid Finch, who could throw a fastball over 168 miles an hour. He's just signed with the Cardinals. Yeah, gotcha, I know. 1996, uh, Taco Bell, the fast food restaurant chain, duped people when it announced that it had agreed to purchase Philadelphia's Liberty Bell, and intended to rename it the Taco Liberty Bell. Gotcha. And even in 1998, after Burger King advertised a left-handed Whopper, scores of clueless customers requested that fake sandwich. This past Tuesday, so Carl and I are sitting on the couch, and he's on his screen, and I'm on mine, and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to, I'm telling on you, where are you? There you are. See, he can't get away. And we're trying to figure out menu, because we're having a houseful uh, for dinner today. Uh, suddenly, he starts laughing, and he says, we got to do this. And, and, and 
in all seriousness, he, he handed me a screen and there was a cake pop. You know what a cake pop is? It's that new thing now where it's kind of this round thing on a stick and it's cake covered with ganache. Only for our guests, they would bite into a Brussels sprout. <laughs> a chocolate-covered Brussels sprout, right? Uh-huh. So those of you who are coming over today, be very careful what you put in your mouth. Now, before you think I've totally gone off uh, the deep end, <laughs> let me assure you that I really do know what day it is. Okay? It is Resurrection Sunday, Easter, the day we recognize the most audacious, most breathtaking, most mind-blowing gotcha in all of history, right? Only this was no prank. This was no sleight-of-hand illusion. And no one would have to wonder when this particular observance began or if it was just something the culture had concocted. There would be irrefutable eyewitness evidence of the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus such that nothing and no one would ever be able to quash its veracity or its power or its preeminence. This would be the only gotcha the world would ever need and never quite recover from. And thankfully so. Now, earlier in the service, right at the beginning of the service, we read responsively our gospel passage for the morning from the book of John. Think back on all the moments in this account where you might hear God's gracious gotcha whispered into the narrative and into the ears of those whose encounters at the empty tomb gave evidence of, to something they hadn't seen coming, like, like this one, where the stone, this massive stone enclosure has been removed from the entrance. You know, <laughs> gotcha. Or when John looked in and just saw only strips of the burial clothes. There's another one, gotcha. Or then Peter would be looking in and he would see the strips of linen plus the burial cloth that had covered Jesus' body. There again, you can hear that whisper. Or a couple of angels appeared inside the tomb asking a heartbroken Mary, you know, why are you crying? This sweet gotcha. <laughs> or Jesus, mistaken for the cemetery gardener as he was finally recognized when he called Mary by her name. Only, you see, this was no joke. Those of you who have been worshiping with us throughout the season of Lent, you know that we've been building up to this day. We, we were walking the walk to Jerusalem for six weeks, observing throughout that time the lengthening shadows of Lent and then the horrors of Holy Week in anticipation of the empty tomb. We've read the last page of this novel, right? Even if this is one of the only days of the entire year that people come to church, even before you arrive, the cats out of the bag, isn't it? I mean, the bunny's out of the basket, whatever you want to use there, okay? One of the temptations, you see, of people in my position is to think that I somehow need to retell the story in such a way as to make it more interesting, more compelling, more fresh. I mean, this is like my Super Bowl, right? <laughs> Easter Sunday. Everyone's tuning in, even if it's just for a few hours. And the commercials, well, they've been, they've been pretty good up to this point, haven't they? I mean, I think so. And, and, and I'm supposed to wow you in hopes that you'll hear the same story while simultaneously hearing something you've never heard before. We already know which team wins. We already know the end of the story, right? <laughs> gotcha. 
<laughs> you see, the story doesn't end. This resurrection account is not some grand conclusion to a three-year journey. Yes, this man, Jesus, he became a radical rabbi born to a poor carpenter and his fiancée who, who grew up in occupied land. Yes, he caused such a ruckus that his loved ones begged him to lay low for a while, but he wouldn't, he couldn't, because he had a mission. Yes, the powers that be captured him and mocked him and beat him and killed him while the people looked on or even joined in. And yes, he was buried in a cold tomb, hewn out of rock, sealed there presumably forever like every human who had died before him and yes Mary found that tomb empty three days later but has the church allowed the shock of an empty tomb to wear off to become less than believable because we found the truth of resurrection somehow difficult to defend or explain or rationalize and maybe even we've kept Jesus in the tomb simply by saying nothing to anyone of the truth that we can hardly believe ourselves. We preachers can sometimes play it safe. I mean, we can make promises that don't really lead to any kind of purpose. We can, if we're not careful, we can preach the good news without connecting the good news to Easter Monday. We can say that the resurrection is central to faith, but seem content to pass over or to postpone its power until Easter Sunday rolls around again next year. Here's God's gracious gotcha. The resurrection never was the end of the story. It was never meant to prove that it happened or to verify that someone finally moved from fear to faith or to confirm that somebody summoned enough courage to do what Jesus told them to do. No, you see, the resurrection was never the end of the story. The resurrected Christ goes ahead of us, goes first, preparing the way for us to march in our own lives, to anticipate resurrection when the world sees only death, to insist on resurrection when death appeared to have won the day. The resurrection was never the end of the story because we are called to see beyond it. No settling on the promise of new life when your life doesn't show you believe it. No assumption of new life if you routinely reserve it only for yourself. No taking the resurrection for granted if you don't make a way for others to be resurrected from their current and certain deaths. See, the resurrection with all its power for those who believe is our story to keep living out every day, remaining vigilant in our witness when bodies continue to be left in mass graves of complacency and compliance, to speak up and out when others try to leave the promise of the resurrection in the past, to resist when the powerful would try to deny that death has been overcome for all. Resurrection means little if it is only that for which we wish and has little to do with how we live. Resurrection won't matter if it stays in the confines of history or remains only a future hope without showing us a present hope in witnessing resurrection and its power to transform on a daily basis. It's not lost on me that both John's account of the resurrection and Mark's, they don't leave us at the tomb. 
See, Mark writes this, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. And then we just, as we read in Mark, but, my, but go, my brothers, and say to them, I ascend, I'm ascending to, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, there's more. The resurrection isn't the end of the story. There's more to come. The raised from the dead Christ is waiting for me and for you on the shores of Galilee, eager to share with us what's next. This is only the beginning. You see, there's resurrection Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and on and on. And by raising Christ from the dead, God is saying not so much gotcha in a playful way, but he's saying instead, I've got this. I love you so much that I'm changing all the rules. In fact, I'm obliterating the laws of nature that dictate death and decay. I'm reversing the results of disobedience and making a way by grace into a new day and a new beginning. I've got this. Yes, this is, this is quite a day. <laughs> there will be those who claim that the greatest April Fool's prank in all of history is the one the church perpetuates every spring, that this fully divine, fully human Jesus of Nazareth purported to be the savior of the world could actually come back to life after three days of death and decomposition. That the power of said resurrection could actually change the trajectory of the world one person at a time. Well, my friends, it's not only possible, but it's already been accomplished. There is enough mercy at the empty tomb to cover over our own death and decomposition, all our wrongheadedness, all our willful sin. There's enough grace at the empty tomb to make the way for enemies to be reconciled, for broken marriages to be restored, for wayward children to come back home, for bondage in all of its forms to be broken. This isn't a one and done moment in history. This is only the beginning. So let's live like it. Let's love like it. Let's let loose God's gracious gotcha into our homes and schools and businesses, into our friendships and even with total strangers. Let's make fools of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. Well, that doesn't sound very biblical. Amen. Okay. Let's do that. And let's look at why that's actually a biblical command. Let me read for you from 1 Corinthians. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. No fooling. Christ is risen. Amen.